And now the moment we've all been waiting for. I am Nate Riggle, and you are listening to The Way of the Bonfire. All right, all right, let's get cracking here. I'm excited for the topic today. It's it's really focused on the tool of language and how to use it better. You ever catch yourself saying, you know what I mean? Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> or having someone ask you that question and thinking, not really. But then you say, oh yeah, and move on. Either because you think it's the polite thing to do or because that's just what you're used to doing and you don't want to rock the boat on what they are saying, what they're so passionate about. I think we often write off the power and the impact and importance of language and the words we use and how we use and understand them. How many times have you heard Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Or talk is cheap. Or actions speak louder than words. These are clever, powerful, and helpful things, but only if the types, in the types of situations that they were designed for. Because By the same token, there's other slogans that say the complete opposite, like loose lips sink ships or speak that I may see thee, where it's kind of got the opposite effect there, saying that the words are everything. And I think the problem is humans tend to take a lot of sayings and use them as a universal and irrefutable absolute principle for everything in life. We make the mistake of going too far in our effort to make these complex things simple. And I've talked about this before, I think even on the most recent podcast or two, focusing on simple is absolutely one of the greatest things we can do to figure out how to be fulfilled and happy and navigate all the challenges of life. But we don't realize that around most good things, there are these little traps set up before we can actually get to the good thing. (laughs) In this case, the trap is oversimplifying and not learning that we need to follow Albert Einstein's advice and go as simple as possible, but not simpler. Not a direct quotation there, but it's something to that effect that he said. Uh, If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it, but you shouldn't keep going beyond the threshold there. And John Maxwell, who's a legendary author in in success and self-development, all these different things, he says something along the lines of simple is wisdom, but simplistic is foolishness. And again, I'm maybe misquoting his exact words, but you get the point. Most of the quotes and slogans we hear are not these universal concepts or principles for navigating life. They apply to some things, but not at all to many other things. So my point is that words and how we use them and interpret and understand them matter just as much as anything. Because if you're using your voice box or you're typing 
a word that was in your head as a thought, then words are actions. And I want you to simmer on that for a minute. And they're part of the fabric that makes up everything in our world. There would be a lot less action in this world if we did not have words. Because what inspires us, what gets us moving, it's usually words. It's other things, but it's words as well. It's examples and but the people giving the examples had words. There would be a lot less to believe in and fight for without words. I'm fascinated, as if you can't tell already, with words and language as much as anything else in life. Because I think it's a tool that most people have a tendency to believe they know how to use well or well enough to get the job done. This naive mindset of ignorance as this kind of the spirit of it and ego, that's what keeps us terrible as people at using words and language to anywhere near its potential. It's making us miss the opportunities that life is waiting to pour out for us. And what's worse is that attitude of overconfidence in our language skills often leads us to using it in a way that actually defeats its purpose completely and can even, and very, very often does have a destructive effect. But if language is a tool, and I realize there's tools for demolition and smashing stuff down, I love using those, but most tools are made for building and language is one of them. So awareness of our weakness here and our need to be better at it are what will lead us to use it to do more building and less damaging. So let me take my crack at awareness of this weakness and why we still have it, but I think we're oblivious of it. All of us to a certain degree. So why, why are we so overconfident with this tool most of the time? Well, like any tool, it's because we think that because we've seen others use it and we've been able to mimic what we have seen. And if it works the same way, even once or twice, then we tend to jump to a false sense of confidence or or a false conclusion that, that we've arrived at mastery of this, this tool. I'll tell you a story about, well, let me, let me actually, yeah, I'll tell you the story here. So. I'm just going to rattle a few of them off. (laughs) I actually, I knew this kid when I was, when I was a lot younger, teenager, and we were out just target shooting with some, some different guns and stuff in a safe way. And this kid that was just so cocky steps up and grabs the, the 44 Magnum, which if you're not a gun person, it has a huge recoil, right? Should I say, uh, uh, like a, a really strong kickback. And he was watching other people shoot it and not having too much of a problem with it. So he steps up, I got it, I got it. And we're trying to tell him, you know, 
hey, you don't just pull the trigger. You got you to gotta brace your arm. You got to change your stance a little bit so that it doesn't knock you backwards because that thing is like a cannon in your hand. And he'd shot all the other guns and he was pretty dead on with his target and pulls the trigger and the gun flies back and hits him in the face. And he says, I just shot myself. I just shot myself. And everyone's just laughing and saying, no, you didn't. You didn't listen to us. You hit yourself with a gun. Now I'm laughing at him, but let's go back to this idea of a tool and, and how we use it. So I went in, here's another story. One year I was in college and my older brother was a foreman at uh, a construction company, framing houses. And he calls me and says, Hey, you got to come down here with me and, and my other brother, my little, our little brother, Jake. And he's like, you got to come down here for this, su- this summer. We're going to have an awesome summer as brothers together. We're going to build houses and have a lot of fun. And so I did. I sprung for it. I went down and uh, him and my other brother were construction majors. So they, they knew how to use a lot of tools. They knew how to do all this stuff. And I was really just a guy who was young enough to, to get out there and, and give it a shot and, and not too scared of, of many things. Right. So <laughs> I, I'm sitting there watching these guys knock these walls and into level big old you know, bearing walls in the middle of the house and they're, they're knocking them into level and checking them. And they're just beating on the wood with a, with a framer's hammer and just swinging with all they've got. And, and I get up and I go to give it my try and I'm sitting here standing on one side of the wall at the top of a ladder. And my buddy's kind of holding the wall and checking the level for me. It's kind of up on a different spot right next to me. And I swing as hard as I can, just thinking, I'm, I'm like them, right? I'm going to be like them. I know how to use this thing. I'm strong enough. They're no stronger than I am. I swing this hammer as hard as I can. And as I'm coming through, I'm swinging it towards myself to hit the wall towards myself. Instead of just walking around and hitting the wall from the side that I'm trying to hit it away, I'm hitting the wall towards myself. I swing up and with this rough ended end of the hammer, that looks like a waffle on the front of it. I absolutely drill myself in the face with a hammer in the forehead to be exact. And it left this perfectly round mark on my forehead that just slowly starts to bleed. And as it's slowly starting to bleed and I'm stunned and I've got Tweety birds, my buddy who's been in the, in this, doing this framing thing for a long time, just looks at me and slowly I hear him go, And just everybody just loses their mind laughing. He gets down and runs and tells everybody, hey, Nate just hit himself in the face as hard as he could with a hammer. Because I thought I knew how to use the tool because I watched other people do it. I could tell you a hundred stories about me using the tools wrong on that job site. Just because I saw other people do it, I thought I could do it. But something was missing from my level of mastery, and I was too egotistical to try to learn it the right way and go any further than when they'd already shown me. A foreman framing a house is swinging the same type of hammer as you could, you or I could go buy at a store, 
and using the same nail gun as you can buy at the store. But it's not the ability to hold the thing in their hand and use it that makes them a master of building houses. Not even close. And I'm here to tell you after 40 years of trying to use the tool of language and really being interested in it and watching others profess to use it as if they know it, as if they are fully fluent in it, that most of us are like the white belt at a jiu-jitsu gym with a few stripes when it comes to speaking and understanding it and wielding it like a grandmaster. A black belt in jiu-jitsu is using the same armbar to win a match that a white belt is. But as a white belt with one stripe on it, let me tell you, there's a huge difference in my use of that move and the black belt's mastery of it and all its surrounding tools and techniques and the endless combinations of factors and setups that lead to using it well at the right moment in time, in the right context. So why is there such a big difference? It's because we thought we could, we could beat the whole world. Once a few people gave us some basic instruction and how to and when to use it. And when we didn't mess it up entirely, we got a tiny bit of recognition in the matter. So we abandoned the desire or the need to keep learning and improving the skill set more. We assume we knew enough to be dangerous. And that's what we did. That's what we did know. <laughs> we are dangerous with it if we don't keep trying to understand it better. We got the keys to the car and drove one time across town and back with no accidents or tickets or damage to the vehicle as a 16-year-old. I can't tell you how many times I've heard said this myself or heard another teenager in my life say, oh, I'm a natural at this. I drive better than most people on the road. It's way easier than I thought it was going to be. I don't know why people are making such a big deal of it. Guess, I, guess I'm like you now, mom and dad. <laughs> With that ambitious, self-assured teenager didn't see was all the danger and mistakes that they were making that required all the other drivers on the road to correct for all the near misses or the potentially even damage that they did cause because someone had to swerve off the road to avoid their blissfully ignorant maneuver. And then one of two things usually happen. The teenager stays in this mentality and blames every accident or close call on the other drivers. Or they wisely decide, or it's profoundly influenced upon them in a humbling way to see that it's a lifelong improvement process. The reason that this usually resolves itself in the driving example is because accidents are terrifying and sometimes tragic. And speeding tickets are expensive. And usually it's pretty obvious who made a mistake when there is some sort of incident along these lines. You can't hide it away and pretend like you didn't mess up. And so you get this rude awakening and you have to admit to yourself like, well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was at this. But with language, the consequences of our ego or ignorance, thinking we know how to speak well and be understood and listen and understand are much less obvious and identifiable. So unless we're willing to stay humble and eager as a student of it and give words and the skill of language, the deference and the respect that they deserve right alongside actions and work and intent and faith that everybody always talks about. If we don't give put words and language right in that same set of, you know, 
traits or, or whatever you want to call those principles for life will forever be like the cocky teenager who just got his keys, whether it was 16 or 60 or a hundred. And why, why you say, okay, you're so sure of this. Why? Because there's plenty of evidence throughout any history book, anything you read, anything you've ever seen or heard that age wisdom does come with age, but usually that's not a foregone conclusion with things that are subtle, like language, because there's plenty of evidence that age and life experience and years on this planet on their own do not guarantee will automatically grow in this area enough to reap the benefits of wisdom. And things that are more subtle, like language, the reality is that time and experience is only a good teacher if we choose to let it be and embrace it and seek after the lessons it has for us. So that's my soapbox as, before I really dive in here. I want, I want to do a few episodes on, on language and words as tools. I want to share what I have learned and where, how I think they can be used to build the bonfire or to accidentally extinguish it or diminish it. Today, I want to start on this subject, like a, a kind of a sub subject of language in the subcategory of it that I've been thinking about and observing and challenging and experimenting with for a long time. And I still only feel like I have maybe Going back to the martial arts example, I'm, I might have maybe a blue belt's understanding of it or, or maybe like right on the verge of getting promoted to that. <laughs> but, but that's what's so great about not being a master. I've seen so much benefit in the limited understanding that I have gained from trying and seeking to improve with a lot of consistency. So imagine how much more fulfillment and clarity and beauty is still yet to discover and experience as I keep going. So I want to start with one common trap or the shortcut that we all tend to take. And that's that of believing that all words are just, they're just words. And they have one meaning and one definition. And that's true, some of them do, but the big distinction here is not all of them. The problem here is that words and language are based on a mutual, and I'm going to nerd out here a little bit, if I haven't enough already. They're based on kind of this mutual agreement and definition that took place somewhere between two or more people or an entire society at some point in, in time. And we have no way of knowing how that agreement between whatever size the group was may have changed and how many times it has changed unless we check in on it often enough and never hold back on our curiosity of the meanings of the things people say and in language. It's kind of like the rules of a game. They may seem simple when you're reading the instruction manual and unchanging and irrefutable, but the people playing the game are not simple. You're going to hear me beat this drum that, that nobody's the same and people are not simple. And they'll change the rules and the interpretations of the rules without ever saying anything or stopping to make sure that everyone has the same understanding. 
That's why in games we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, timeout, timeout, timeout. Maybe maybe I'm the annoying one that does that. <laughs> maybe you don't do that. Yeah, where it's like, what did you just do? I don't, I don't get how that works. That's what I, that's kind of how I see language is like a set of, of rules or a game or an agreement in a rules of a game where people keep reinterpreting it and, and we play by how with house rules sometimes. So some words have kept the same mutual agreement of meaning for a long time. And there, here's maybe my first piece of advice is pay close attention. If you are interested in kind of taking a closer look at words and their power, pay close attention to the ones that haven't changed because they probably have some reason for not changing very easily, no matter how much time passes and people and societies change. For example, the sun has always meant to most people the bright thing in the sky that gives them warmth and light and makes the plants grow and dries up water and makes you squint if you look right at it. That's pretty easy to agree on. And not feel a need to delete part of what I just said. Because it's there. Right in front of us on almost every day. And we can see it coming from behind the clouds on the days that it isn't, it, it may mean and represent a lot more to different people than this description that I just gave. But if they had to tell a child what the word meant, it should at least include some of those things in the definition or description. And the sun back to my earlier point is very, very, very important. So at its core, there are parts of the words meaning that don't change. But not everything is as important and central and obvious to our existence as the sun. Because so, some words have adopted like multiple mutual agreements on what they mean. And have been, they've been given countless different definitions and used every which way and interchangeably with other words since they were first invented. Some have nearly lost their meaning entirely. And have almost no meaning at all anymore. If I said, what's your definition of the sun? You could make it more complex, but I would still know what you were talking about. But if I said, what's your definition of success? Everyone may have a different answer. There have been thousands of books written and with completely opposing viewpoints on that one word. So our language as this system is, is so imperfect that it hurts. Again, I'm, I'm nerding out here because I think, I think it's just, sometimes the things we overlook and write off are just, maybe that's, maybe that's what's causing most of her problems. I'm saying it's imperfect. It was, if it was designed to be some foolproof way to easily arrive at true. And like I said before, a universally accepted mutual understanding it, it is failing. But it's also one of the greatest gifts that we have for connection and growth and fulfillment if we don't give up on it. Lots of words are mysterious things hiding in plain sight that you think you understand when you hear them. But they are something you may in reality have no idea what they are intended to mean 
when they come out of another human's mouth. Unless you ask and listen and confirm. You could just stop the podcast right there. Because I'm just going to go into those things. Finding the, the meanings, it has to do with, you, you have to ask, you have to listen, you have to confirm that you understood. I'm suggesting that every conversation we have requires some level of translation or interpretation. And you're like, what is this guy on about? I'm saying is in a lot of cases, we think we're speaking the same words and language with the same meanings, but that is actually often nowhere near a safe assumption. It's taken me a long time to realize this. We would be better off in certain conversations trying to something that doesn't use words. I know that's contradictory to what I said before, but because the agreements on what the words mean and how they are used are so far off. So I'm going to share three suggestions or tactics or whatever you want to call them. Number one, the shortcut or the lower effort hack version of how to bridge the gap in language. And then maybe, maybe you bristled a little bit when I said that. Number two is going to be a warning about using this hack or any hack uh, these uh, or other types of hack hacks out there that are full of flaws and in, in their own gaps. And number three is the more reliable way to identify and translate any gaps in understanding. The only drawback to this third one that I'm claiming to be a better way is that it requires more humility and commitment and work. So here we go. I speak two languages fairly well and, I, and I'm conversational in another but the two kind of main languages that I'm pretty confident in are my first language, obviously, is American English, and my second language is French. And I used to speak French with my father as often as I could throughout my life before he passed away a few years ago. Our, our primary language for both of us, although he is half French, um, because my grandmother was was from France. Um, our primary, primary language is English, but we both speak fluent French as our second language. And sometimes, and the details matter here on that background, sometimes it was just easier to arrive at understanding in our second language because we simply only knew one, maybe two meanings and usages or contexts of a word or phrase in French. And our mutual agreement or a shared set of rules on how those things should be understood, had less exposure to potential other meanings and uses and changes of those words as it does in English. Because we weren't living in this f modern French society every single day. So although we had less words and complexity and fluency in French, here's the counterintuitive part. In certain ways, it was easier to connect and get on the same wave wavelength with each other than in English. Just because you have a thousand ways to say something doesn't mean doesn't make it doesn't make it more easy to understand. It's mind blowing. You would think it would help a lot. So if you want the shortcut or the more of a hack that is some 
times useful to close the gap and understanding as as you try to communicate with someone, ask yourself this question. And again, it's not going to work in every situation, but here's the question. What shared language could I speak that is mutually simpler and more reliable and unchanging in the agreed upon meaning? And it doesn't have to be a written language. So when you first heard I said that, you're like, okay, that, that heck's not going to work for me. But you actually speak a lot of different languages and supplement your written language or your spoken language with these other languages, including things like your body language. Humor is kind of a language of its own. Making a reference to your shared roots and experiences and stories that, you ha- that you've had together. Man- even just mannerisms sometimes can tell, can say more than words can. My little brother is just amazing at saying less words and getting a lot of meaning out there. He could probably do this whole podcast in like a sentence. And if you, and if you didn't, if you didn't, couldn't listen to it, he'd just go on YouTube and make a couple faces and you get the point. Um, maybe he should have been in silent movies or something. He should, he's after his time. Anyway, strategic silence sometimes helps on that same topic. Um, inside jokes and that, that can tend to make people angry. All, all of this, this whole entire hack, if there's other people around, they can get a little bit frustrated because they're like, what's going on with you guys? But it can kind of skip over the whole need to try to interpret what's being said or meant here. Because we all kind of, with the relationships in our lives, we, we may have these different levels of a shared code or style that just, we just get it. Could be something like music or hobbies. Or here's a big one. That's kind of the reason for this whole podcast is like my old, my old man used to say when he was trying to connect with the with us boys, he'd say, sounds like it's time for a fire. And he didn't write a manual or anything. He just knew we'd be able to connect better at the fire. It kind of broke down barriers. So some of these types of things do that. So the shortcut here is using this shared simpler language that is harder to mess up. And naturally breaks down the barriers and complexity, but that just, it doesn't work for every person you engage with or in every situation. It's a tool in the toolbox to consider and not squander, but it's not something that always works the best. So now here comes the warning and I've done rants about this before. So here's the warning about other types of hacks out there. People have tried to monetize this communication or language hack or shortcut to meaning and understanding in a lot of ways. And for some, it's been super helpful. What I'm talking about is these, when, you know, there's somebody that's like, okay, let's figure out what what we're missing here. They'll, they'll give you an intake form or they'll give you a questionnaire and then they'll say, okay, here's what this diagnostic tool or this quiz or this personality thing says is actually happening with you. But it's not, it's like an automatic thing. And and, uh, that should always raise a red flag. If there's anything that's like not a human trying to tell you what's up all by itself, um, then it, it, I promise it doesn't have the full picture and it's not trying to get the full picture. 
So I think anything with an intake form that asks you some questions about yourself or how you work and how you feel and like to do things and your current relationships should be seen as one diagnostic tool for gathering information on possibilities for you to consider as a possible data point or another angle. It's, it's meant to be informative, but not all encompassing. It doesn't define you. It helps you think what might be possible, what, what could be going on with the meanings that you're assigning to things. And, and only you can vet and confirm or toss out the parts that are wrong. By no means should it become something that becomes your handbook for life or regarded as your destiny. Because even, even if they're measuring your genes, there's this awesome movie called Gattaca where it's like, everything's predetermined. You want this baby? Here's all the things you can expect them to be able to do. We'll, we'll make the genes all fit. And then the babies will become these different things, right? Just it's all predetermined and destined. But at the end of the movie, his brother, who's this, you know, super being who is genetically modified to be all the things that, that society and his parents wanted him to be. And his brother and, and the one who wasn't, who didn't have all these definitions and things on him, they would always race out into the water, paddle themselves out into the water. Um, not paddle, but uh, sorry. They do like a, a, a swimming race out into the ocean just to see who could go out the furthest. And the one without the genetic modifications and superhuman, he would always beat the one that did have them. That was supposed to, on paper... And with everything be better. And I, I realize it's fiction, but I think that it's so close to what actually is happening in our world. Trying to define things that shouldn't, that they can't fully be defined and that are constantly changing. So they, they, he always beat him, right? And at the end of the movie, they kind of grow apart because of this. This one's been defined and the other one hasn't been defined. And he's been living in a society that can't, that doesn't accept you to not be defined um, by science and all these other things. And so they grow apart. And at the end, they get in this huge argument and they end up going, running to the ocean and swimming out as far as they can. And the, the one brother beats the other brother again, the, the genetically modified one. And when they, he ends up saving him and swimming him back to the shore and he goes, how is it even possible? How do you always win when you don't have my genes? And he says, I wasn't saving the other half for the way back. And I think that there's something about the human spirit that we wish we could put into words. We wish we could tidy it up in a nice little box, something that's fixed and predetermined. I don't know why we wish that, because it makes life a little less exciting if you think about it. I don't want to know everything that's possible. I, I want to find it. I want to discover it as I go along. Man, I just did a side quest there. That's my, that's my ADHD kicking in. Oh my gosh, I'm predetermined to, to be sideways because of this diagnosis. No, just kidding. But but a doctor would never take your blood pressure during your first visit and say, "Sorry, you have hypertension, and it's just who you are." We've done the research. And if this is what the cuff measures, then you're going to die 10 years earlier than most people. And maybe all the, you know, if there's any doctors or 
you know, medical people listening to this, I know that there's a lot of other markers and that's the whole point. I know that you could do evidence-based medicine and genetic biomarkers and have predictability on some of these things and probability, but probability is theoretical math. It is not destiny. We have a choice to change the probability and to deter- determine things. What a doctor would say is, hmm, that, that's higher than I thought it would be. I, I wouldn't like to see it that high, but there are a lot of things that could be affecting it. Every single person is different. Tell me about your family history, your lifestyle, your recent experience. Have you been stressed out about something lately? Did you work out before coming here? What is your height and weight? Let's do some other tests and look at all the pieces. And even if it's more of an educated guess based on this snapshot in time, um, maybe we we should watch this over the next few months and years. And if needed, I, I can refer you to a specialist to go get a second or a third opinion and these other things. That could be affecting it temporarily. Well, personalities and all these quizzes were like, oh, that's me. Boom, done. And now I know who I am. Shortcut. Hack. Doesn't work. I mean, it works for what it was designed to do if if we put it in the right context. And the problem with getting back to like, okay, how did I get here on on this whole personality thing is Sometimes in communication, these sorts of things where they say, oh, you're this type of person, you're type A, you're type B, or, you know, (laughs) the one that's like ruling the world right now, or it has been for years is, is the love languages thing. There's a book about the five love languages, I believe, and, and you could take the test. I've taken it. I've taken personality tests three or four times before thinking I was answering the questions the same, same way. And it spit out a different personality for me every single time. And I promise you, I do not have that disorder because the, and the problem with things like the love languages thing is that most people have, according to the test, different love languages. So it's not always a shared language. So how that's not going to be a hack that's, that's helping you communicate faster. It's it, you still have to do some type of interpretation and they're prescribing what that should look like based on this box they put you in. And I, I still think it's not simple, but it's simplistic because it's one model's interpretation of the way you answered some questions and their attempts to assign a universal meaning for you based on not knowing anything about you, obviously, relatively speaking. But the good news and what this guy that's not an expert in all these things is claiming is there's a method that helps us find what is being lost in translation in our everyday conversations, thoughts and the meanings we assign to them. Like most things that really work, it's easier said than done. It's not this quick fix where you just take a quiz and then all of a sudden you know how to deal with everything. And of course, it takes awareness and practice and consistency and repetition and trust, but it does seem to work. And I believe it's a critical process in the way we level up in our capabilities to speak, to listen and understand and be heard and understood and in sync and connected the way we all want to be. You see, I I think it's too often like we're like, oh, women are great listeners and men aren't. BS, man. B S like maybe we're not because 
that's the box that you put us in. <laughs> or that person can't pay attention because of whatever mental condition they have is. Nope. I think that, I think that we're f- filling the box people want us to fill. And it's taken me so long to figure this out. So, so let's zoom in what this novice seems to have figured out, at least in this portion of the, of the mastery of language and, and understanding. I think I'm going to give you 10 steps. I'm actually going to flip-flop one of them. Because I think number what I had as number 10 is now going to be number one. Number one, and maybe you've heard this, don't. Think about when you're talking with, with uh, having a conversation. Number one is don't talk more than they do. People always say, oh, yeah, God's math. Two ears, one mouth. Do, do it in that proportion. I think you could do it in less than that proportion. Because if you don't talk more than they do, this is what makes it possible to do this whole process that I'm about to go through at all. It communicates without saying words, your genuine interest. So strategic silence, like I was talking about before, it sends a signal that they are not stuck here hashing this out and dissecting it based on your insistence and determination to to have mutual understanding. It's counterintuitive. They know they can be done with it whenever they want to be and not feel impolite or uncaring or distracted by where they're going next, etc. If you're holding the, holding them hostage in the name of we just really got to come to an understanding before we go do anything else. That that's I've made this mistake so many times. <laughs> Maybe I'm making it right now. I've been rambling for a while. If you were here, I wouldn't be talking this much. Because of what I've learned that it's kind of holding them hostage if you don't let them be the one who talks. And they'll, the more you do that, the more they will avoid doing the deeper connecting and understanding and this, this translation exercise with you more and more. You're like, okay, what the heck are you talking about? Translation, interpretation. Like, what do you mean our words don't mean the same thing? I mean that words we use every day, like that's success. It, it could mean something else to someone. And you just, in your mind, you said, I, no, I know what that means. Boom. Keep going. So number one, or that was number one. Number two is that you have to admit that you are not an expert. And it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to run this process and act like I know what to do here and communicate if I'm not an expert? Because that's the humility piece. If you can admit that you're not an expert at the language being spoken, I don't, maybe you've spoken English and you, you have an English degree, you, you're in linguistics, all of those things. You can say the words and make all the kinds of complex sentences and write a book, but no one is a black belt or perfect at language. And that they can convey and understand meaning every single time with any person and that they never miss anything. But most of us think we are if we don't stay humble and curious. So number one, or number one, don't talk more than they do. Number two, admit that you're not an expert, even if it's your first language. Number number three is acknowledge that you probably are speaking the same first language, 
as most people you talk to, but they have formed, let's call it a dialect. That's different using the same words, but with totally different meanings and definitions. And those things get even further from the same thing, depending on how you use them in context and tone. So there's all these words that you don't understand, even though you think you understand them. That's the point. Just acknowledge that. Number three, and probably the most important one, or the, sorry, this is number four. Listen without taking shortcuts. This is the part that we never master and we actually have a tendency to even get worse at over time because we think we've got, we, we know what's going on in a conversation and, and maybe think, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm telling you, you the more, the more cocky and egotistical you get about your understanding, your ability to read people and what they're saying, the more you try to anticipate where they're going with this the more likely you are to overlook what it actually means. Oh, that's cool. There's an ultralight flying right over my head. That's pretty awesome. So what I'm saying is this is the part that we never master, but we can improve so much on it. Probably the most, the biggest thing we can improve right now and have a huge impact. And it's the th also the thing that gets us in the most trouble because we're overconfident, we're complacent, or we're just lazy and taking these shortcuts in, in our, in our conversations. And there's three parts of this listening without taking, listen without taking shortcuts. So the first part is the one that I'm the worst at. And I probably, not, it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be stacking, but you could, you could try any one of these three things to, to make some progress. So number one's not a, pre, uh, a prerequisite of number two and three. But number two and three is where I've, I've gained a little ground. So, But let me at least address number one. Oftentimes we're just being absent-minded or distracted or not fully present. And the key to overcoming that, that I suck at, and am still in the trenches with you on this pretty, pretty heavily, is compartmentalization. Be where you are. And that's its own animal. And I, like I said, I have a lot to, of work to do there. But if, if you are like kind of like on autopilot, like that Adam Sandler movie where, where Click, where he's, he's not even present and he can, he can kind of just fast forward, then you, that's the big one we also need to work on is compartmentalization and, and presence. And that's a tough one, especially when we've got all these different things happening in different categories of our lives. So that's the first part. Second part, and this is what I feel like I can teach something on here is listen for words that may have a different meaning or use or intention to them than they do to you. I don't care how long you've known this person that you're talking to or how long you or they have been in the same industry or circumstances or group that uses a lot of the same jargon or words. As a, as a facilitator of sorts in my career, I've, I've, had the, I've had to be the interpreter that says, yes, they said this word, but I believe what that means in your world is this. And I'm watching both parties trying to figure out 
okay, are we on the same page? And usually you can kind of see a light bulb of understanding go off when that translation as the middleman and they're doing it for them is happening. But we can do this without, without this middleman that I was like in the, in the professional world and we should be doing it. So that's number two, listen for words that may have a different meaning or use or intention to them that that's different than they do what they mean to you. Number three is pay attention. Number three of number four. <laughs> Let's go and see. <laughs> the third one is pay attention to how long this person you're talking to or that's talking to you, hopefully more than you're talking to them, stays on a specific concept and how they act and how they sound during that piece of it versus other parts of the conversation. You can hear a voice light up when someone's excited about it. Maybe you've even heard it and noticed it in this podcast. When I get really pumped or passionate about something, I start speaking faster and louder and and uh, probably stuttering like Porky Peg. Por- I can't even say his name. Good grief. Porky Pig on a meth trip. Because I'm just so excited. And I need to work on that part of my communication style anyway. But if you can pay attention to how they're acting and sounding during this piece that they spend the longest time on or that they're most focused on and passionate about, it's a good indicator that that's maybe something that you should not be screwing up in your understanding of of what they're explaining to you. And so number five, so that was the three parts of of number four. Number five is assume that because of their quote unquote dialect or different meanings for the same words. You definitely did not understand the meaning of what they said. Even if you have a hunch or an assumption that you want to test out, just remember, I don't, I don't, if you can assume as a default saying, I don't know what they're, I probably didn't catch everything there. And then tell them, here's how I interpret it. I'm interpreting and understanding what you're saying using the dialect that you use and what you understood and noticed and watch and listen again to their cues of understanding. If you're explaining it and you see them start to, to light up or nod their head or say something like that's right. Not you're right. (laughs) If they say that's right, I think that's from uh, another good communication book called never split the difference. It's better if they're saying that's right, then you're right. So you're, you're seeing what their cues of understanding. And then you want to go another, a step further than that. Ask them about what their meaning of certain words or phrases in their experience and current definition are. And that might be a sentence like, tell me more about what you were saying earlier. Or when you say failure, what do you mean? Or what does that mean to you? Or how's that affecting you? Or how will that affect you or your business or whatever it is the relationship is? Or how important is that to you? Or how this piece, it seemed like is maybe the top thing that matters right now. Why do you feel so passionate or dispassionate about this thing? And the other one is, I'm not sure I fully understand. 
but let me see if I, if I know what you mean. And when they answer, after doing your explanation, this is the part that I skip a lot because I feel like really proud of myself for doing a, a, a comprehension check. But if they do another round of clarif- you know, of, of using these words that, again, maybe in their explanation or their answer to your explanation, maybe there's more words that they use that you're like, gosh, I don't know if we're on the same page with that. It takes discipline to go and do another round of clarifying and curiosity and seeking to understand if their explanation and words and phrases are the same as yours. And then, then, so then the next step, number nine, is acknowledge any gaps in meaning that you've identified together and definition and align understanding. And you're like, what are you talking about? It seems like you're saying the same thing over and over again. Maybe. Well, it is different. What I'm saying is it's really easy, especially if you're not used to this process of interpretation on your own same exact language. To just be like, all right, I'm kind of tired of this. I feel like we did a good job. We did better than than I've ever done before at, at trying to understand. I'm not taking any shortcuts. It's good enough. And then we skip the last maybe two two most important steps and saying, and we say something like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. I'm totally with you on this. So you can move on to your thoughts and responses and needs and solutions. But the problem is, is if you jump right there, it sends a message saying, I get, I get it. But in reality, maybe I don't. And I just want to, I just want, I want it to be my turn. I'm too excited to tell you how to fix this or how to, my, my story. And it could easily undo every, all the work you've just done to try to get back on the same page with this person. So you want to say something like, oh, so it sounds like you want, you need, or you feel, or here's where we were off, but it sounds like this is an explanation that gets us on the same page. I was misinterpreting and confused on this piece because of X, Y, Z, but I think we're in sync now because of this kind of newer way of using all our words together. And then the last step is check your translation with them or in your interpretation. If it's wrong, and maybe we should have done this earlier, but I'm still building my steps here. Like, look, this isn't a, a, a full, full program that's been validated and vetted, but if you're another man out there that's just, just trying to figure out how can I be better at this whole listening and understanding thing, then I think this all should help you. But the last step is check your translation with them. If it's wrong, use analogies and stories and other bridges that are not just more frustrating and boring explanations that you've already been trying to do. I've had so many conversations with my wife where I, she says she she calls it filibustering where I'm just basically explaining something using my language and intellect and words without any sort of reference to anything relatable to help bridge the gap. And then I say one little analogy or story and she's like, Oh, 
Why didn't you just say that before? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, did, I forgot I had that in my back pocket. That could have, that could have just uh, <laughs> saved us a lot of time, right? I really hope that this episode is something that you'll take some time on and think about. Maybe make your own version of it. And, and really see what it does in your life. Especially if you can't make sense of what's happening in any kind of relationship. Focus on the language and the understanding and the listening and confirming. Go get them! Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Every single time I do this, I get a little more fired up and my bonfire grows a little bit more. If you're feeling the same way and like you got value out of this, would you do me a favor and go onto the show page in your Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to this and leave a rating and click follow. That way you never miss another episode of the show and it helps me immensely to keep the momentum and keep bringing the good stuff for you. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks. Thanks.